don't need a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look. Be your own interior designer with big design, small budget. Here's your host, Betsy Helmuth. Yesterday, March 21st, marked the one-year anniversary of me recording this podcast, Big Design, Small Budget. It has been a blast. I have loved discussing everything from where to put your socks to what color to paint your bathroom to window treatments for every window. It's been a great year, and I thank you so much for listening. On this anniversary episode, I'm going to share with you some updates, some emails I've gotten about clients asking questions from past episodes, whatever happened to, what's going on with. I'm going to answer those questions and I'm going to reveal my lowest moment of 2015 because there was a very dark time that came out of one of my episodes and I wasn't going to share it with you. I don't actually like to share it with anyone. But somebody asked me the other day, whatever happened with, and I felt like I wouldn't be being completely myself, completely transparent, unless I shared it with you. So stay tuned at the end of this episode for a big reveal. Thanks, guys. Let's dive in. Happy anniversary. Let's get started with Big Design, Small Budget. So our first question comes from Tyra. Tyra asks... I just listened to New House New Issues, episodes 44 and 45, and I loved them. But what if you're not moving in? What if somebody else is moving in with you? What's the best way to plan for a boyfriend's move-in? How do you say goodbye to furniture? I loved the advice you gave on how to plan a move, like take a week off. But do you suggest doing that with him? Do you suggest agreeing on color schemes? What if he has ugly stuff? So, Tyra, it's not easy. It is not easy to mix your stuff, especially when you're not going to a neutral location. When you're moving to your place or when you're moving to his place, there's kind of a power dynamic there. Maybe you're staying in your space because it's been stabilized. Maybe you're moving to his space because it's his family home and they want to keep it around. There's all sorts of reasons why you wouldn't move to a neutral location, which is the ideal scenario. But it's not an option for most New Yorkers. So whenever they have people moving in with them, I think there's a few things that keep the peace and make the transition much smoother. The first one is to discuss things ahead of time. So ahead of time, discuss what he'll be bringing. You don't want him to show up with the U-Haul truck and be like, we can't accommodate (laughs) this armchair, this Star Wars memorabilia, this whatever. Um, In my case with my husband, these milk crates, these Christmas lights, we definitely had to discuss things before we put them up. So discuss where his stuff will go. Discuss how his stuff will be integrated into your space. But the onus is on you to make room for him. Clean out some cupboards. Give him designated areas to freak out. My husband and I each have a junk drawer and I don't go in his as long as it shuts. 
He can do his thing. I even gave him a whole kitchen cabinet where he can have his popcorn, his candy, his sodas, his special treats. And I don't go in there. Like, that's your deal. So make room for him in terms of giving him a drawer, give him a shelf on a coffee table, give him ownership of the entire TV console. That can just be his place to store his extra cords and remotes and his crap. Everybody needs room for stuff that they won't be judged about or that doesn't have to contribute to the decor but just makes them feel better when they have it in their life. So you also need to make some changes to the space together. So even if the space doesn't really need change, this is the one time when I think change for change's sake makes sense. Consider reevaluating the layout. Consider moving the sofa just so that it feels new to you and feels new to him. Shake it up a little bit. Maybe paint the place together. Not only is that a great relationship activity, get a box of wine, a big pizza, and just paint the living room. Even if it doesn't need a new color, it can help you feel differently about the space and help him feel invested in the space emotionally. Let him pick from three colors you give him to choose. So just help him feel more committed to this space structurally. The other thing that I highly recommend doing is, I know this sounds a little airy-fairy and hopefully he'll be into it, but I really think this works. Create a little ceremony. So after his stuff is in or before the U-Haul even comes, clear out those spaces for him, make that room, And then go to your local supermarket and get some sage and dry it. Or you can get dried sage online too. Together, light the sage and create an intention for the space. This is no longer your space. This is no longer only his space. This is your combined space. And so you want to clear the air of all those past boyfriends. You want to clear the air of all your singleness that you've brought to the space, all that ownership that it's only mine, and start afresh. And I would really talk about it during the ceremony. Walk through with the sage into each space, into the bathroom, into the bathroom vanity cabinet, into the dresser drawers into the back of the closet while the smoke is filling the space from the sage really intentionally say i want to share this space with you i want this to be ours not mine i want you to feel a part of this space even though i've been here much longer i want to make changes so that it feels new to me and new to you And I would say this stuff as you walk through. And I really think that that will help get you guys off on the right foot. And of course, if he has ugly stuff, oh goodness. If all else fails, call affordable interior design because sometimes there are items which uh, create impasses. But I think once you start this way, you might find that it's an easier transition than you're expecting. So now let's talk about another question. Yelena has called in with a question regarding shoe storage. Hi Betsy, this is Yelena. I would like to know if there's any help I can get with shoe storage for a small entryway and in a closet that's already full of junk and having a one-year-old baby running around throwing shoes everywhere. Any tips? Right now we have it in a basket and she just pulls all the shoes out of the basket. So I need childproof, but still stylish and really small for lots of shoes. Good luck. 
Now, Yelena, you will remember in episode 12 that our Sorted by Anna episode where Anna Bauer, the organizer, came and told us about storage. And I loved her shoe storage tip. In fact, I loved it so much. She recommended getting the three-tiered adjustable shoe rack. She likes the ones from the container store, but I found a great one on Overstock. I bought it. I put one in each of my closets, and it has been a game changer. Who would have guessed? I saw those things all the time. I never really thought about them. They have them at Bed Bath & Beyond, everywhere. But now that I have them in my life, there's no turning back, and it was under $20. But it sounds like to me, your shoe storage issues go deeper than something in a closet because you've mentioned that your closet is quite full. It sounds like to me that you're going to need something external that's quite narrow because you've mentioned that the space is small. So I would look at Ikea. Ikea has a couple good solutions. The ones we all know about are the trones, those plastic wall-mounted units that are meant to hold shoes. Those are not the cutest things in the world, but they definitely get the job done for smaller shoes. They don't work so well for boots or rain boots, but for any type of normal shoe, they're much better. Sneakers, heels, and a lot of my clients swear by them because it's such a narrow system that it won't take up a lot of room in your haul. I personally prefer the IKEA Hemnes, H-E-M-N-E-S, shoe storage system because it's wood. It has a much nicer look. It's about three to four inches deeper. So I think it's eight inches deep versus five. Don't quote me on that, but I think I'm right. So I like that one too because it just looks more like furniture and less like a temporary plastic piece. Of course, the price point is raised. The space is more compromised. But that's a nice solution that's really quite compact. However, my favorite solution is from Overstock. You just type in shoe cabinet on their site. And they have lots of shoe cabinets that have doors. So I like the shelving inside that's adjustable with the outer doors that conceal the additional shoes. But my favorite one, which I will post on the BigDesignSmallBudget.com show notes page, has open shelving on one side and then cabinets on the other side. And the reason I love this piece is because, as you know from my previous episode, I'm a little bit messy. And there is no way in heck that I am going to take off my shoes and open a door every time I come in, even if it's just a cabinet. So I love the fact that I could put my greatest hit shoes, the ones I'm wearing every day, just throw them on the shelving. But for those shoes I wear less, like the rain boots, the heels, goodness knows I do not wear heels a lot, I can put them on the cabinet side so that way they're concealed, but it doesn't stop me from my get up and go in the mornings. So that would be my recommendation. And like I said, I'll put links to all three of those options on our show notes page. And then, of course, I will also put a link to the Sorted by Anna Revelation, the three-tiered adjustable shoe rack. Now, as many of you know, I had my store opening uh, a couple weeks ago. And it went great. I had a lot of my past clients, my super VIPs come down to support me. I met a lot of new community members from Westchester. And I met a lot of shop owners just on my same street. Basically, it was an awesome event. And I am so grateful that you guys came down. However, during the event, one of my beloved clients came up to me and he said, Betsy, I am a huge fan of your podcast. I listen every week and I absolutely must know what happened with the billionaire? 
And it is with a lump in my throat that I said, you know what, Francis, I have been thinking about telling people about it. So as you guys know from episode 20, I was contacted by a billionaire to redo his duplex on Park Avenue. Actually, he was just buying it. So it was empty. And he was like, make it fabulous. Make it amazing. There's no budget. Go nuts. And it was a dream come true. It was basically like a fairy tale. Pinch me. This can't be real. And if something's too good to be true, I hate to be pessimistic. (laughs) But maybe it is. Maybe it is. So I've thought about telling you guys this for a while and I'm going to share it with you now because there were a lot of lessons that in retrospect I have learned the hard way. So Francis, this is for you. As you guys will remember, I was contacted by a billionaire via text very late at night saying, I want you to design my entire duplex, spare no expense, I don't want any approval, do whatever you want, here's my Amex number. Crazy! crazy and I had a blast so as I was designing for him I mean this is not what I do I don't pick out $30,000 rugs I don't have artwork custom made and ordered from a Chelsea gallery to the tune of $14,000 it's just not even in my day-to-day context additionally this billionaire owns a lot of businesses, including a furniture company. And he said, I want you to make everything custom. I want you to design every piece of furniture as much as you want. So design my sofa, custom pick the wood, custom pick the fabric. And I mean, the most custom I get is going to an Ikea and choosing between green and blue. Like That's the most custom I get for my clients. So basically, I was a kid in a candy shop and I was having a lot of fun. But I was also very nervous. What if he doesn't like it? So I would say to him, I would say, you know, I'm deciding between these two very expensive rugs that are hand-knotted in Nepal. And I really would like your help choosing because once I order it, there's no going back. And he would say, nope, nope, I don't want to see it. I don't want to know about it. You go with your gut. Choose the one you think is right for me. Needless to say, I poured my heart and soul into this project. I learned everything I could about him. I put my clients on a big hold. I basically didn't take any clients for four months while I micromanaged every part of his project, right down to custom building chairs through his furniture company. Um, I researched every interview I could of his because I didn't know that much about him personally, even though I was a huge fan of his. So I found out his favorite places to travel. I found out his favorite types of candy. I found out who all of his mentors were. And every single coffee table book, I asked myself, would he love this subject? Oh my gosh, that's perfect. Let me get a first edition of this book because he loves Paris. Let me get a first edition of that book because he likes Disney World, not Disneyland. I mean, I was in it to win it. He likes peanut butter meltaways, so I made sure to have some of those in a bowl waiting for him. So I was three weeks past my expected finish time because when you're designing high end, it's actually much more problematic than designing low end. These rugs from Tibet and Nepal, they had to be approved in customs and that got delayed, which pushed my timeline. And then a lamp from, oh, I don't even know where it was. I think Canada. A lamp from Canada came and it was damaged and then it had to go back through customs and just to get the shade became this eight week debacle. We wait 12 weeks for a dresser, it finally shows up and it's irreparably damaged and I have to send it back with no option except to wait 
another 12 weeks to get another one. So it was a hard process with lots of surprises along the way, and I was three weeks past the expected due date. That being said, I thought three weeks wasn't too bad. And by the end of that three weeks, everything was in its place. The meltaways were styled. The books were stacked. I worked and my team, we both worked until about midnight that night to make sure that everything was perfect. So that way when he would walk through the door the next day, he would be wowed. And I remember stepping out of the apartment as we'd finished and then walking back in. And it just hit me how stunning it was, how this vision I'd had in my head for four months had finally been realized and manifested and these pieces that I had only drawn on paper were before me and it looked as amazing as I'd hoped. And I knew because he'd said he was so open, I knew that when he'd walk in, he would see how much I thought about him, how much I researched every little thing that I found that he loved and reflected it back to him in a way that showed him how amazing I thought he was and how much I cherished this opportunity. I really went the distance. And so the day comes when he's supposed to come to the space and I don't hear from him. And then the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day. And finally, I get a text that says, I'm very disappointed. And my stomach dropped. And um, and he hated it. He hated it. Yep, he hated it. <laughs> so he, um, he had told me that he likes blue, so I made touches of blue. He would text me, I only like navy blue. What were you thinking? Just really bad stuff. Like, Who would ever like that piece of art? Who would ever choose that pillow? That picture frame looks so cheap. And believe me, it was not cheap. It was really a blow. It was not only a blow because he didn't like it. It was also a blow because he wanted us to return almost everything. Which is easier said than done when you have hand-knotted rugs from people in Nepal that were custom cut just for you. It's very hard to return them. Especially when you're a designer like me who doesn't have pre-existing relationships with this vendor. I mean, I work with Overstock every day. There was nothing in this house that came from Overstock. So um, it was a challenge. And then the most recent challenge is that he doesn't want to pay. The first two invoices were paid, but the last invoice, because he doesn't like it, he doesn't want to pay. And so I'm facing a lot of conflict on a lot of levels. But the biggest conflict is that I'm just pretty emotionally devastated. And I've let it go by now. I've let it go emotionally. Financially, I've not let it go, but that's another story. But I learned some things that I'd love to share with you, especially those people who were interested in my small business strategies episode. I've learned some things that I'd love to share with you. The first one is that collect payment before you do the work. So even if you divide it into three parts, make sure that they pay before you do the work. The other thing is don't deviate from your process. So I have this process where I make clients fill out a questionnaire, send me images that reflect what they would like this space to look like and if I would have had those from the billionaire I would have hit hit it more on the mark I would have understood more of what he wanted and I begged him to fill out my questionnaire I begged him to send me inspiration photos and he wouldn't 
He told me he liked three things. He liked blue. He liked a certain New York restaurant. He liked a certain New York hotel. I contacted the hotel. I had a friend of a friend that worked there. I went to his suite where he always stayed. I looked at all the textures, all the materials, all the art, and I still didn't capture what he had in his mind. So don't deviate from your process. Make them do what works for you in order to get that best result. Always get approval. Let's just put that out there. (laughs) Always get approval. He said, trust your judgment. Surprise me. I want you to pick. Uh, That didn't work out so well. And I never do that with any of my clients, no matter their budget. So that's not happening again. Also, use a contract. So I thought, first of all, I use a contract with all my total overhaul clients. But I didn't ask for one this time. Because I thought that he was taking a bigger risk than I was. He was having me design his duplex and I looked up to him so much and I am a big follower of his and he says if your word is not your bond then a contract means nothing anyway and guys that's not the truth (laughs) so his word was not his bond and a contract would be a big help at this point the other thing well let me tell an anecdote before I tell you the final lesson and the most important lesson I learned So as I was coming back to his space, one of the last times to pick up one of the last batches of accents to return, the super was giving me access. So the super came up in the elevator with me. And as he came up, he didn't know anything about whatever. And he just said, well, aren't you guys finished? And I said, yes, actually, we we finished a while back. And he said, oh, well, you're not really finished. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you know You know these people. He said, he's going to want you to redo it all over again. He's like, that's how these high-end clients are. They love to have things done and redone and redone. And I was like, whoa. I didn't say anything. I just laughed and kept going. But that is something that stuck with me because I came from a high-end background. I was an intern slash apprentice with Tom Felicia and we worked with exclusively high-end clients. And I remember that there was a challenge in the fact that it was hard to make them happy. Uh, When you can have anything in the world, why would you settle for what's in front of you? And also, why not redo it? Like, it's fine, but let's do it again. Why not? You have all the money in the world, or at least a pretty good fraction of it. So that hit home that what I really like doing is exactly what I do. I started affordable interior design because I didn't love spending a gazillion dollars on things. Why would I have something custom made when I could get something very similar at room and board in seven days rather than seven months? Why would I spend $14,000 on a piece of art when I really love this piece of art at Etsy for $4,000? And even that is a stretch. So it just reaffirmed what I do and why I do it. When you find something that you love, niche down, get specific. I didn't just want to do interior design. I didn't know that when I started. But as I worked in the different fields, as I started with high-end design, I was like, no, that's not what I want to do. Those aren't the people I want to help. I want to help people like me. I want to help people who shop at Target, who shop at Ikea, who shop at Crate and Barrel, stores I love. So it just reaffirmed that 
I not only make more money, I also have more fun when I do what I set out to do. When I stick to my niche, when I stick to my passion, affordable interior design. So guys, I would love to get your feedback on the billionaire's space. Do you think he's right? Do you like his space? If you go to the show notes page on bigdesignsmallbudget.com, I'm going to show never-before-seen pictures of his before and afters. So you can let me know your thoughts. Tragic or tremendous? I would love to hear from you. So that's your anniversary update. This year has been filled with highs and lows, but one of my favorite parts of this year has been doing this podcast. So thank you so much for listening. Spread the word, tell your friends, Post it on Facebook. Um, commiserate with me. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on The Billionaire or any previous episodes. Send me a line at Betsy at AffordableInteriorDesign.com. Thank you so much, everyone. A huge thanks to my intrepid producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the Embassy, our very catchy house band. Even after a year, I still love our theme song. And finally, to Affordable Interior Design. When you find something you love, stick to it, guys. Niche down. I love affordable interior design. And I'll talk to you next Tuesday. Bye.
did you end up in this place for so long? Whatever made you think that this is where you belong? Walking the streets like.